Welcome to Despirituality. It's great to have everybody listening. I know we've been missing for a while. The pandemic disrupted us. Uh, we've been doing a lot of content. You can find that at deepspirituality.com. You can also uh, find on uh, our YouTube uh, channel uh, a lot of uh, content we've been creating. But because of the pandemic and the disruptions caused by that, it's been hard to do all the, all the items we've been producing and at the same time be able to produce the podcast. Uh, and we've been, uh, I know I've been helping my church to be able to have their live stream. So that's taken up time. And as you know, at Despirituality, we don't push any particular church. Uh, we we want to make sure we push out the scriptures and God and help people get a great relationship with God and, and help people develop a level of spirituality that helps their lives and hopefully helps the lives of those around them. Uh, today, we're going to talk about church a little bit, but we're, we're, we're going to talk about it from the perspective of God and walking with God and knowing God. And uh, that's going to be our, our big deal. Now, we're a, little, we're a little rusty doing podcasts, but we love them. We know a lot of you love them. And uh, it's going to be a conversation. Uh, nothing we do today is etched in stone. And truth is, nothing that we ever do should be etched in stone. Uh, the book of Hebrews in chapter 4, I think it's 12, talks about the fact that the Word of God is living and active. Uh, and if I got those verses off or whatever the chapter's off, you guys, you know, give me a little bit of mercy and grace. But uh, if, um, if the Word of God is living and active, that means with each decade and each century that goes forward, with every change in culture, with every uh, advancement societally, whether it's in the philosophies of life, whether it's in the technologies of life, whether it's in the economics of life, uh, with every advance forward, people's fundamental needs remain the same. We all need uh, love and the social uh, network of relationships to give us strength. We all need purpose. Um, we all want to have uh, safety and the essentials of shelter and food. We have these essentials, and they don't change whether you're living in 500 uh, or you're living in 1500 or you're living in 2500. And so the century doesn't matter. Human beings are the same, but culture is impacted. And when culture is impacted, we have to accept the fact that there are advancements we have to make in the way we think and talk about God, faith, etc. Now, some people don't believe that's true. And one of the beautiful things about life, one of the beautiful things about America is that you can have your own opinion. And so that's great. Uh, what we want to have is a conversation. Uh, I have uh, Stone Eliezer with me, Kenzo Chua, Parker Allen, two of us that are sort of from, you know, uh, uh, older generations and two of us that are from, you know, younger generations, because we want to have a conversation and we have no idea how it's all going to turn out. So our our primary goal in this particular episode, and we hope to create a few episodes on this for you, that'll be easy to listen to and and and, and drop and, and hopefully uh, inspire conversation between you and your friends, you and your family, uh, you and the the new people that you meet every day. Uh, we're going to talk today really about what was it that brought Paul into the arena? The apostles, the 11 apostles, Judas, of course, betrayed Jesus. The apostles were bringing the gospel into the world. And if you read the book of Acts and Acts 1 through 8, the apostles supported by all of the incredible first century disciples 
were advancing the gospel, Acts 1 through 8. And when they did, they were advancing the gospel primarily to people who were Jewish. Um, Now, when we talk about people who are Jewish, or we talk about Judaism, we want to remember that in history, what Christians have done is they have been anti-Jewish or anti-Semitic, and oftentimes Jewish people were beaten and even killed because the belief was that they were responsible for the death of Jesus, and so they were the enemy. And instead of looking at the Bible and just seeing Judaism as, say, the established religion that Christianity was coming out of, people saw it as enemy religion. And that's unfortunate. So every time we we refer to the Jewish religion in the Bible, what we really want to talk about today is that it was the established one. It was the one that held sway over the community out of which Christianity came. And the change that Jesus brought, and Jesus being Jewish, the apostles being Jewish, Paul being Jewish, the change that he brought was not only to bring the gospel or the good news to the Jews, and that was the first priority that Jesus had. He told his uh, disciples in Matthew 10 that when they went out, they weren't to stop or go anywhere except to the Jewish nation. And so that was the first step. And then Acts 1 through 8, the apostles keep that rolling. But in Acts chapter 9, Paul is blinded by the light, if you remember that rock and roll song from so many years ago. And his life is turned upside down. And so he's blinded by the light. His life is turned upside down. And in Acts 22, he describes his conversion in Acts 9, in verse 3. Then Paul said, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia. I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. As his student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. So notice he says Jewish laws and customs because there were Jewish laws in the Torah, the first five books of the the Old Testament. But there were also customs that developed out of that. They were not necessarily given by God, but they were developed by the culture, uh, which would be a Jewish culture. I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, just like all of you today. Then it goes on in verse 4, I persecuted the followers of the way. The way is another name for Christians or Christianity or the followers of Jesus. I persecuted the followers of the way hounding some to death, arresting both men and women, and throwing them in prison. The high priest and the whole council of elders can testify that this is so. I received letters from them authorizing me to bring the followers of the way in chains to be punished. And then in verse 6, it goes on and says, As I was on the road, approaching Damascus about noon, a very bright light from heaven suddenly shone down around me. I fell to the ground, heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. And the voice replied, I'm Jesus the Nazarene, the one you're persecuting. Now, that's a famous story, and there are famous paintings done about this. Paul being blinded by the light, and he actually goes from someone who persecutes, and this is a common phrase used in religious circles. He goes from someone who persecutes to someone who proclaims Jesus. And this is his transition. Now, in Acts 22, 10, he goes on, 
And this is Paul. I asked, what should I do, Lord? And the Lord told me, get up and go into Damascus, and there you'll be told everything you are to do. And then in verse 11, it says, I was blinded by the intense light and had to be led by the hand of Damascus by my companions. A man named Ananias lived there. He was a godly man, deeply devoted to the law and well regarded by all the Jews of Damascus. He came and stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And at that very moment, I could see him. Now, we know from Acts chapter 9 that Saul spent three days blinded by the light. And, you know, if you're blinded by the light in three days, you've got time to think. You've got time to reflect. You've got time to understand. In verse 14 of the same chapter, then he told me the God of your ancestors, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear him speak. For you are to be his witness, telling everyone what you've seen and heard. What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. The amazing thing about Paul is that he had his plan. And his plan was, I'm going to go and I'm going to persecute and destroy this church, which is taking away people from uh, the Jewish faith. And Jesus comes and personally stops him. And we know from Acts 9, we know from Acts 26, we know from Acts 22, that the specific call that Jesus would make was, not only want you to tell everybody, I want you to tell the Gentiles, you're going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. So Acts 1 through 8, it's all about essentially reaching Jewish people. By Acts 9, Paul goes through this conversion experience, and he's told to go to Gentiles. Then in Acts 10, Peter, who some would say was the foremost of the apostles at that moment, he has a vision that essentially tells him, you shouldn't limit the good news to the Jews. You need to take the good news to the Gentiles. Now, who are the Gentiles? The Gentiles are, some translations of the Bible say, non-Jews. Some people would go as far as to say, pagans. Now, some Gentiles, believe it or not, like Cornelius in Acts 10, that story about Peter, they were worshipers of God. So you could say he was a Gentile believer, but a pagan would be somebody who was like, I have nothing to do with anything related to God or Christianity. But the basic gist is that God was saying after eight chapters of Acts in chapter nine and 10, There's a bigger world out there than just the Jewish world. So we've given the message to the Jewish world. We've given the message to Israel. Now it's time to go. Now they would continue to give the message to Israel. It wasn't a thing about like, we're done with them. That wasn't really the issue. The issue was we've got to expand and increase our reach. Now, why is this all important? Because I think often when we read the Bible, we look at the Bible strictly from the point of view of the Jews and the Pharisees were like, the opposition and the difficult people and the Christianity were the good people who were doing all the good. And we don't realize that a lot of the people who were Jewish were the, were the ones who created the church, built the church and, and inhabited it and were the largest population. Jerusalem would be the largest church for a long time. But God knew in his plan, and he had planned this all along because even before Jesus is born, it said he'll be a light to the Gentiles. So, That was something that was always in the plan, that the whole world would know about God through Israel, that Israel was chosen 
not just to be the chosen people, but to be the vehicle at some point that would allow everybody to enter the church. Now, again, why is that important? How should we apply that today? We don't have the same structure with the Jewish faith. It is one of the smallest faiths in the religious population. You've got approximately 2.3 billion people who say, I'm a, a Christian. Doesn't mean they're a church court, but that's the faith they identify with. You've got about 2.2 billion that say, I'm Muslim. Doesn't mean they go to the mosque all the time, but it means that's what they identify with. So you're talking 4.5 out of the 7 to 8 billion people all say they're either Christian or Muslim. And then after that, it goes down in a variety of things, whether you're talking about Taoism, Buddhism, um, um, uh, uh, any, any of the, uh, the, the smaller sort of faiths that exist uh, that are practiced all over the world. So all these are in much smaller number. Judaism is down there in the really small number. So when we read the Bible, it makes me think, well, what should we learn? Should we just keep having this Jewish Gentile thing? Or should we look at it and say, maybe there's something going on here where God not only tells us what happened, but he teaches us that the fundamental elements here are you're going to have always, you're always going to have a traditional group that is maybe in the majority, that has a certain way of doing things, and then you're going to have, and let me say clearly, in the majority within the church. So there's always going to be a group of people who go to church that are the majority in the church. But then there's this bigger world that doesn't go to church. And I think when we read the Bible, we could easily look and say, wait a minute, rather than staying static and saying it's always about Jew-Gentile, Maybe we need to understand it's always about outsiders in out, out whether we're going to be outward focused or inward focused, whether we're going to look and we're going to say church is all about us and our group and who's dominant within our walls, or it's about opening it and making it accessible to as many people as possible. I believe that when you read about Paul, you read about Peter in Acts 9 and Acts 10, God was saying, yes, we always want these people who go and are involved We always want them to be vibrant. We always want them to be flourished, but we never want to make the church. We never want to make the family of God. We never want to make the the faith, the good news, inaccessible to someone who's not inside. We always want to keep an outside mindset. Jesus reached out to tax collectors and sinners, or as some people say, outsiders and outcasts. And so the question I've been asking and that I want to discuss today is can we get to the point where we say, in this 21st century, do our churches have the capacity, do our Christians have the capacity to say, maybe the way we've done it up until now is not going to work going forward because we're living in a world that is very much like the world the New Testament first century Christians lived in, where the majority of people do not participate in the culture of Christianity as we know it. They're outside of that culture. They're they're listening to different kinds of music. They're watching different kinds of movies. They're watching different kinds of languages, uh, uh, different kinds of, 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 of intellectual languages, meaning their language is uh, outside. It may be based on rap music. It may be based on philosophy. It may be based on a journalist they like. It, 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 it's a totally different set of words 
And when you even go to a church, like I remember the first time I saw the word righteous in a Bible, I, I had no idea what that meant. And so within the church, we have a language, a set of customs and ways of doing things that if we hold on to them really tight, it seems to me that we're going to be replicating the Jewish Gentile conflict. And there will be a lot of people who say, I can't go and be a part of anything Christian because it's not accessible to me because they speak a different language and they have a set of rules that don't have anything to do with the Bible that just is their custom or their way of doing things. And so I know this may be difficult for some of us even to think about, but as we go along, I think you'll find that there's a lot of data as well as a lot of thinking we have to do. And I think above all, Christians not only should be spiritual, they should be thinkers. And so diving into this, what I want to be able to talk about is the Gentile church or what does it mean to be a non-traditional church, a non-traditional church. In Acts eleven nineteen, and so we talked already, I know for some of you like, oh my gosh, this is so boring. I don't want to think about these things. Here's the thing. The reason we want to think about these things is because spirituality is about reading the Bible, not just for the facts you see, but the message God has for you to understand. Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. I'm reading a book by Paula Fredrickson. Um, I'm going to have to pull it off the top of my head because my screens are all being used right now. Uh, it's called uh, uh, Paul, Apostle to the Pagans. And she's a historian that studies this. And, and I interacted with her a little bit in correspondence, trying to get her on the podcast, wasn't successful. She's very busy. She was in Jerusalem at the time. But uh, she said, you know, one of the things to understand that I didn't see is she goes, Paul was not so much innovative in going to the Gentiles because people were going to the Gentiles before Paul did it. And when you look here, you see that in Acts 9, Paul comes around. He's going to be the apostle of the Gentiles. In Acts 10, Peter's told we should let the Gentiles in. But these people were already going to the Gentiles. And so the Gentile world was opening up because Christians went, you know what? We need to tell the Gentiles about this. Whether they'll do it or not, I don't know. And notice what it says in verse 21. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. If you believe in God, then you should believe that God is good for everybody. And that you should want everybody to at least have the option to know about him and walk with him. Because I think the deepest spirituality is not just intellectual or philosophical, it's relational. Meaning there's lots of spirituality that's about uh, uh, meditating and reflecting, getting in nature. And I, I think those are all spiritual things. But I think there's a degree of dissatisfaction in that spiritual pursuit unless we comprehend and access the relationship that's, that's hidden behind that spirituality, which is God. And that's why Christianity is a relationship religion. And it's too often seen as an organized religion organized, structural, rule-oriented. It's a relationship religion. And the idea of the good news is, guess what? There's a relationship your soul has been yearning for, and you can have that. And I believe that finding spirituality 
through all different things, whether it's meditation, whether it's uh, solitude, one of Parker's favorite words, we're, ta- we're reading an article about that, whether it's, whether it's uh, uh, finding it by getting into the zone in sports where you reach that level where you're free of all uh, inhibition and you just play at a level you're never good. I think that's all spiritual. But the, the, the question is, why do we have a spiritual instinct? And I think it's because there's a spiritual relationship. And so when we look at the Gentiles and we look at them being reached in chapter, chapter 11, I think there's lessons we can learn about building the church in the 21st century that are we willing all the time to say, what are we holding on to? What customs and, and rules do we have that gotten us this far but can prohibit other people coming in? And so I want to get Parker and Kenzo and Stone in here just to have a little conversation here at the beginning about has this concept been confusing to you? Have you thought much about it? Do you still have some inhibitions or some reticence about it? Can you see personal application where you look and go, man, I, 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 can, I can apply that. And again, we're not trying to change the Bible. We know it says Gentiles and Jews. What we're trying to do is what I believe it says. I know I'm going to get this one wrong, but I think it's 2 Corinthians 10, where the, the Bible talks about the need for us to, that these things have been written so we can learn. They're not just written so we go, oh, that's the history, that's the facts, but it's also so we can learn from it. The same way when we look back at the civil rights movement in the 60s, um, the the Civil War in the 1860s, when we look back 100 and 200 years, we look and we go, oh, wow, that's what happened. That's why that took place. Let's not make that mistake again. Let's try and do that differently. I think God gives us this record to show us that it wasn't going to end with the Jews and the Gentiles. There's always going to be an established group that says this is the way we want it to be. And there's always going to be a need for refreshment in order to reach the culture you're in at the moment. So, Stone, what are you thinking? What's on your mind? Uh, and it's uh, thanks for joining us on the Despirituality Podcast. Well, thanks. Great to be here. Um you know, I thought it was a great, a great introduction. Um, you know, I'll just tell you the things that sort of got me uh, thinking. Um, I was thinking about the four and a half, you know, million uh, versus the seven or billion versus the seven billion and uh, how you're always going to have a traditional group that is in the majority. Um, and the question that you asked was, are we going to ever be able to get to a place where we can uh, to, to say that we we we, we could do uh, uh, that what we've done up to now uh, won't work because the majority of the world does not participate in the same things that we do. And I thought about um, how uh, different influences that the, 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 the people that are not identified with religion, their influences and the things they identify with, you talked about movies and music and different words. And I thought, you know, that's so true. Uh, my generation, I, I, well, let me not speak for my generation, but I'll say personally, I think as the older that I get, older I get and the more comfortable I am being in my environment, um, I, think, I think that the, 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 our group can lose a lot of self-awareness that, uh, that when, you say, when you say our group, what do you mean? I think when I say our group, I think, I, I think of people who've been uh, going to church for a long, long time. 30 plus okay. years, uh, doesn't, it could be 20 years plus years, but we're older. We're so used to doing things a certain way. We're not even aware that there are people out there that wouldn't be comfortable doing what we're doing. I right. can imagine like when you, you know, in my house right now, uh, uh, 
when I walk into someone else's house that I've never been to before, I'm so much aware of everything I see, everything that I, you know, I, I, I look at and I probably have opinions. I go, hey, that looks great. Or I wouldn't have that there. Everything. But I, <laughs> I go into my house. I don't even notice anything anymore. I'm so much more on autopilot. And I think about that when uh, I'm at church and let's say I have a friend come. He's for the first time. Those are the times when I'm probably most aware. I'm going, I look at the singing differently. And I'm going, I wonder if he's enjoying the singing. I wonder if he likes this song. Uh, he doesn't seem to be interested or whatever, you know, uh, in, in singing that. Maybe that's not something that he's comfortable with. Your idea of, of us considering that people are not comfortable in the environment that we're comfortable in, I think is a really great and important uh, concept for us to explore and have conversations about. Because I think we all think because we're comfortable, everyone naturally should be comfortable. And that's a concept I don't think we think about. Well, and it's interesting because I would classify that as, you know, um, religiosity versus spirituality. And this is a journey I know I'm on personally. I don't think everybody wants to go to church, and I don't think everybody should have to go to church. I don't think everybody—I certainly don't think people want uh, religion ruling their constitution or ruling their country. I don't, I don't think they want that. I don't think we want that. What I think is that when you look in the public square, the national conversation and the global conversations that take place— Increasingly, Christianity and religion is seen as a deterrent to peace, is seen as a backward slide to times when there was less equality, when uh, women were not given the respect and, and, the, and, the, and the view of being equal. So there's a lot of this that is culturally embedded. And so when you say, as accurately, I think, when you say, will a person be comfortable, I actually think that one of the people, one of the things people can be most uncomfortable with, are issues surrounding what's what's the role of women, issues surrounding what what's what's their approach to, or willingness to have a conversation about race, uh, or issues around do these people take seriously the economic and and in science issues of the day? Do these people even believe in science? And I think that what what I don't, I don't I'm not under any delusion that everybody's going to come flocking to a church because they say we believe in equal rights or we believe in climate change. But I think people can look at it and say, what century are you people living in that you're not even willing to acknowledge that these are issues or have a conversation about them? Or because you're a church, you automatically vote one way or you automatically vote the other way. So I think these are questions. I'm not even saying I have the answer to them. Questions we have to answer. So when you talked about being comfortable, I think the 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 music I I've had I've had friends come and go this music is so old how can you stand how can you stand singing it and even listening to it like because you know the guy a friend of mine he's listening to Drake and so he's going what happened here you know I I mean not that you have to rap but do do you have any music that has any current lyrics that talk about the world that has uh, uh you know smartphones you guys are back singing songs from Telegraph days and. I, and, and some people will be offended by that and go, well, I, I cherish, you know, Great Is Your Faithfulness. Carrie Underwood and C.C. Wine has just released a version of Great Is Thy Faithfulness. That's a fantastic song, and they made it very current. But what we have to understand, like you're saying, is when we're in our house, we love it. I, You know, we love, oh, master, let me walk with thee. If you're over the age of, 
probably 50, you love, oh, master, let me walk with thee, or great is thy faithfulness. And if you get older and older, it even becomes more. Tears start going down your eyes. But for someone younger, just the melody itself loses them. And, and, and they don't, they don't want to sing because it doesn't apply to their day. And so uh, let me get uh, Kenzo in here on this one and Parker in here on this one. And you guys take it away because you actually, you guys both actually come from that, that generation and that, that mindset. I'm not accusing you. I'm saying you're aware. Go ahead. Yeah, there, there was a, there was a couple of things I was thinking with that. I think first with the uncomfortability, there was like, uh, I never thought of that analogy with the house, but I think, I think for, like for me, I was connecting that with like uh, even playing sports. Like, I mean, growing up shooting a basketball, I was shot from my shoulder, like just kind of like, like, you know, like Sean Marion style. And, oh uh, boy, you dropped in some Dallas Mavericks. <laughs> and, uh, and, but I, but I remember my, my dad would always tell me, you got to fix that. You got to, you got to do it up there. <laughs> and I remember trying to shoot it, you know, from above my head and it right. was, I just, it was just so uncomfortable and it was so, but then when I saw a video, I remember my dad recorded a video of me shooting and I was like, oh my gosh, you know, cause I watched Steph Curry, LeBron, all those guys. I'm like, they do not shoot like that. And I did not right. want to be Sean. Marion. <laughs> and, but that, uh, but that, I think, I, I think that happens a lot just in life too, as we, yeah, we get used to stuff and, 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 uh, you know, even you talked about solitude that I think that's why stuff like that is important. And the reflection is important because if we're just going about our day, we're not going to realize all the little things that we do that need to be changed. Um, yeah. And, and uh, so I thought that so was, you, I, yeah. Go ahead. When you, when you're looking at, you know, when you're in, you know, you're in college on a campus, you're, you know, a graduated from a great university, Santa Clara, uh, um, and you're out amongst people that are your age or obviously in the pandemic, you're not out quite as much as you would normally be. You're playing basketball with people. What what is their general view of Christianity or religion? Like, I'd be curious to hear both you and Kenzo comment on it, because I think that Stone and I are speaking from one perspective, but I think that most people that are in their late 40s or older, they share a common view of religion that while it may be they're turned off by some of the political stuff that goes on, I think they pretty much think, oh, it's good for society, take care of the poor, et cetera. But I'm not sure that people that are younger even see churches as having a a, a positive uh, role in making the world a better place. But maybe yeah. you guys can inform our audience and me at the same time. Yeah, I think I think that's real. I think, uh, yeah, I'm thinking like yeah, people, you know, that I went to school with or people my age a lot think it's it's all about kind of rules and morals and not even necessarily all in a bad way, but it's like, Hey, I, I, if I'm a good enough person, I don't, I don't need that. Cause that's the, people think that's the whole point of, of churches to reform the, the rule breakers or, you know, but, <laughs> but, and then, and then, you know, some people don't even agree with the morals that, that, you know, the churches they see have. So they're like, man, not only am I a better person than all these people, but I don't even want to be yeah. like them or, you know, so I think that's the way a lot of people see it. Yeah. I think, I think for me personally, like I, I went to, you know, I went to community college in De Anza and I went to um, uh, go to San Jose state after where they transferred um, and I've got to meet like a, a lot of people uh, during my time in De Anza and San Jose state. And I think the one thing that it kept coming, coming back to was just um, they just didn't agree with like the way that um, churches like viewed things. And 
um, they saw them as like very like negative towards like like negative and not accepting towards like a lot of different people. And mm -hmm. I think like I think a lot of I think the the perception of like people our age like can be, oh man, like you're telling us what's wrong all the time. Like, and I don't think no, I don't think anybody wants to be seen as wrong. Right? Yeah, that's like, not, right? not a real goal. My goal in life is to be wrong. Yeah, and, and someone help me know how wrong I am. I think that's the problem. Like, I think like a lot of people like just go like, oh, like you guys think this is wrong. So I just nobody wants to be around the person who thinks you're doing something wrong. So it's like, but everyone wants to be heard and have a conversation. Like, I think that's really important because like, yeah, I think like the understanding is like. Cause, cause the times when I've talked to people about like, you know, Hey, like I'm a Christian, like I go to church and stuff. It's like, Oh, you're a Christian. Like you don't seem like it. And I was like, what do you mean? I don't seem like it. <laughs> it's like, you're like so friendly. You're super loud. And oh, you, wow. I was like, I would love, he was like, like I, had, I had a couple of friends told me like, he's like, man, like I'd love to see you at a rave. You'd pop off. Like, I'm like <laughs> oh, I, was wow. just, I was like, nah, uh, yeah. I mean, like I don't necessarily do that, but like, <laughs> you know, but, right. but it's, it's just funny. Cause like, I think people have this perception of a Christian as like somebody who's quiet, somebody who's like does what he's told when that's like actually the opposite of like everything that I feel like I learned from the Bible, like after moving mm -hmm. over here, like I think during my Bible studies, like, like people wanted me to think. And I was just like, what? You want me to think about these things? Like, and like actually be mature and actually have my own opinions about things. Cause yeah. like yeah. to develop that, I think in a person, I feel like people don't see that in churches nowadays or they, 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 they see church and they go, you have to, act and be like, you know, a person inside the box. So, of yeah. So you're basically saying they see church as a place that conforms you. Yes. yes conform. mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Even, even converts you. Yeah. Converting, converting me. I remember, you know, in the days I traveled a lot, I had to always go to the gate, the little window at the airport. Uh, and, and of course, when you said Kenzo, when you came over, you were talking about coming from the Philippines. So I remember when I used to travel around the world, I would go to the gate and I'd have to change my money to the money of the country I was in. So if I had any money left over that was, you know, uh, from a particular country, I'd go to the gate, turn it in, and then they change it. And you have to read the exchange rate so you don't get burned. You know, you want to make sure you get that exchange rate when it's favoring you or it's at least equal. I'll never forget being in London one time and, uh, and, and the American dollar was doing really well against the pound, which it was the euro. And now I think they're going to go back to the pound, but I'm not sure. I don't know. But maybe they never gave it up. I can't remember. But uh, it was really favorable. And I was like, holy cow, I can now get this so much cheaper. But it was it was converting you to that society's uh, uh, way of exchanging money. And I think my view is evolving that we have to we have to go from saying, I'm trying to make you into a member of my organization to I'm trying to change my life and grow in my life. And I think you might find this attractive to help your life grow. Because I think one commonality between y'all human beings is a desire to grow. Now, all of us get tired of having to work at growing, but everybody wants to grow to go to high school, maybe get a job or go to college, get married or have kids or, or some, they have something they wanna grow into that they're not at. And what you're talking about is really, I think, profoundly good because these are just, I think these are uncomfortable conversations for Christians because of what you just said. We tend to, at least I know I came around at a time where I was almost taught, and this is my opinion, some people would disagree with me, which is totally fine, 
But I was taught to make an argument. And if I look back in my life and say, where did I blow it in teaching and speaking and interacting with people, is I didn't come to the table saying, let me start a conversation. I came to the table with the mindset of, oh, I know what's right now, and I've got to make the case that I'm right to convince this person that they're wrong. And, then, and that's what you're talking about. And nobody is, I'm going to quote the great Kenzo in his new philosophy book he's going to come out with. Nobody <laughs> wants to hear they're wrong all the time. <laughs> and and I, I think there's an element when you're trying to get people to, con- and I remember when I first went to church, it was hard because there were so many things I'd never seen before. I'd never seen psalm books sitting in aisles. I didn't know the order of the service, you know, and they, they have an order and they do things in order. And there are all these people who know exactly what to do. I'll never forget. And if you're listening and you don't go to church and all, that's fine. And I hope we're not boring you. But I remember the first time the tray went by that I now know is the communion tray. I had no idea what that thing was doing. Snack time. Now, I certainly knew what the, I knew what the <laughs> contribution tray was for. I knew that. I'd heard a lot about that on the television <laughs> about, you know, people in churches just want your money all the time. So I knew about that. But I didn't know about the communion thing. I didn't know what it was for. Uh, I didn't know if I was supposed to touch it. And even after I became a Christian, I only like went to church one time before I became a Christian. And so... Once I started going, I didn't even know I was supposed to take the tray because the only time I'd been to church before I became a Christian was on a Friday night. So I literally, when I became a Christian, Friday night, then sun, Saturday, Sunday, I went to church and I did not know what to do with the tray. And so I think a lot of people don't even understand because they grew up in churches. Oh, everybody knows what's going on. No. And I felt like a stranger. In, the, in, the, in there. I felt like a stranger. It was culturally different. I did not go to church. And so I was listening to um, a, a, a musician called Rick James. And, uh, uh, and if you listen up Rick James, uh, let's just say one of his favorite, one of my favorite songs of his was called Mary Jane. And the, for a long time, I had thought it meant a girl named Mary Jane that he liked. <laughs> and then I discovered, when I, this is before I went to church or anything, I discovered, oh, Mary Jane is not Mary Jane. <laughs> uh, and, and he had a lot of, you know, I, somebody might call it coarse music. But I loved it. In fact, the first time I spoke at a church, I was a student, and I got to share with three other guys, four other guys. I quoted Rick James and the song. I quoted it because I loved Rick James and I felt like a stranger and I, I am absolutely an outsider. And I think I struggled to be in church because it was like nothing I'd ever done before. And what was interesting, and I, again, I'm talking about what Kenzo said. I don't think there was ever an effort to say, maybe we need to change what we do to make people like this have it easier coming in and being a part of it. Now, I'm not blaming anybody or saying anything is wrong. I'm saying I think the world is even more filled with people like me than it was back when I became a Christian. I think there are way more people who are giving an artist that would be, uh, you know, kind of party wild, uh, you know, go ahead and smoke your Mary Jane. Give me an artist like that. ASAP Rocky, that's what I'm thinking. ASAP Rocky? You know who that is? No. I got to put him. Is he on my new playlist? Parker puts my playlist uh, I together. Don't, for I don't think so. Probably not. Oh, okay. Okay. So ASAP Rocky. So here's a guy. I think if you came in and you were a big ASAP Rocky guy and, and you tried to go to church, you'd have a hard time. 
I'm not saying that we want to, you know, let people loose to pillage the world, but I actually think the mindset we have about a lot of people is judgmental and self-righteous and entitled. And so we start with, I'm going back to Professor Kenzo, we start with, you're wrong, let us rehabilitate you. Do you know there's a centuries of colonialism where missionaries went into countries to tell people that you're wrong, not only about the way you live, you need to choose a different religion, you need to do everything different because we're superior. And I think that that to me is what God wants us to remember about the Jew-Gentile conflict is it is not about Jewish people. That has nothing to do with that. It's about there will always be occasions where a culture has dominance, but the dominance of that culture can prevent other people from getting the good news. Uh, I was reading a history book. Um, I'm reading three books at the same time about Christianity, early Christianity. and um, but, but one of the books I'm reading, I, I can't remember the exact one it was, talked about, it shocked me. It said that they, they really made an effort to um, uh, get people to become Christians. This book was written in about, I mean, this book commenting on, on the 15th, 16th, 1600s and the 1700s, early 1700s in America. And uh, it said slaves were reached out to and helped to become Christians. But before they could become Christians, they had to swear an oath to never try to escape slavery. And I think a lot of us don't understand that the dominant culture oftentimes is putting something on top of the good news to keep their culture in control. And we have to learn how to separate out what is our custom and our culture that has nothing to do with the Bible. Mm. I was going to, I was going to comment. I like Kenzo's comment as well about, um, you know, uh, if you uh, not feeling like uh, people understand uh, that we can make them not feel well. Right. Yes. And um, I think sometimes it's, and and you said Russ too, that uh, oftentimes just making an argument. I often think how, how many times I've, I didn't occur to me if I felt I was right, it didn't occur to me how I was making someone feel because I was was more concerned about being right. And then, of course, um, no one likes, as Kenzo said, no one likes to feel like they're wrong all the time. And secondly, I do remember my first experience going to a church and I had not gone to before. And I just been I was a freshman on campus Somebody in, uh, came to our, my room and invited my roommate. My roommate told me about it. And I thought, well, I'll just go on Sunday morning. I got up and rode my bike and I was late. And because I typical campus style, <laughs> I was late and everybody was everybody was already seated <laughs> and the place uh-huh. was full. And the only seat was in the front row. No. And I did. They made me do the walk of shame all the way to the front row, oh, sit by myself while everybody watched. And I thought that was the most uncomfortable experience. But I bet you and I'm, I'm pretty sure not anybody thought that I was uncomfortable in that environment. Right. But, you know, that's typical when we're when we are, you know, unaware and we're not used to having and being around people who don't have the same experiences yeah. that we yeah, do. Yeah, I think people were probably, if I'd been sitting there after my years in the church, I'd have sat there and went, why is that guy late? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I would never have thought, why haven't we left the back pews open to people who are visiting 
that are trying to find their way here for the first time so that they don't have to go through the discomfort mm. of looking like they're late. Like there's so many things, you're right, mm. that we don't think about. Mm.